Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Lyle Berkowitz. He's the CEO of KeyCare. Lyle, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. So as I do with all my guests, I think it's important to get a little bit of context. You're uh, a physician by training, I think, uh, maybe still practice, I'm not sure. We've known each other for a long time. But if you would share a little bit of the, the history and how you arrived at this point, because there's some interesting uh, turns and activities that uh, lead you to this point in your career. Uh, sure, I've I've had a fun, multifaceted career. Yeah, yeah. First and foremost, I am a physician, internal medicine, primary care physician. I practiced for over twenty years at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. Uh, had a clinic as part of the yeah, hospital-owned um, primary care group, um, but I also always split my time between clinical care and being a physician executive. Um, I spent about a decade with a classic informatics role, um, CMIO, you know, director of IT, that type of role that uh, rolling out EMRs. We did Cerner, later Epic, um, you know, working on internet strategies, telehealth, et cetera. And then the second uh, decade of my career at Northwestern was focused more on in innovation. You know, how do we bring yeah, cool technologies, processes, yeah, and take advantage of the EMR that we had in place. I set one of the earlier innovation programs in the nation um, and uh, additionally continue to work on telehealth. And aside from that, my side hustle uh, was that I was also uh, an executive advisor um, and founder in some cases of a variety of digital health companies from technology to consulting type companies um, and including starting a company called HealthFinch, uh, which was in the physician workflow automation space. So I did all that. Um, had a, a great balance. Um, and five years ago, um, though, I left Northwestern uh, and joined MD Live, one of the larger telehealth companies, um, helped them scale up as an executive there, uh, helping with operations, product strategy, et cetera. Um, but I left there in 2020 in part to um, help uh, with uh, HealthFinch. Um, and uh, that was sold. Um, MD Live wound up getting sold to Cigna. I was just consulting to a variety of companies and health systems um, around digital health, virtual care, et cetera. Uh, and with COVID, noticed that there was a need for more um, virtual care support for health systems. And I'll, I'll get to that next, but that's my history. I was uh, trained as an engineer, um, worked as a physician, executive and entrepreneur for many years, um, you know, you know, learned how to really be, uh, I think, a reasonably good operator um, and eventually um, wound up starting a new company in the virtual care space. So, I, I, I mean, as, as I knew, a fascinating, uh, long career that sort of, I, I'm going to say meandered, I don't mean that in a pejorative term, you, you know, meandered, as I think all interesting careers do through different areas. And before we get into the, the, the virtual care and some of that, I want to just go back, if I may, because it's, it's quite topical at this point. 
I'm seeing, and I think I hear a lot, this, you know, everybody is setting up innovation centers. And given that you were one of the early uh, founders of something, you did it with a, a, a healthcare system, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts about this. Is this good practice? Should more of this be happening? Or has it really tipped too far? Because I, I, I'll, I'll be clear, I, I think it's just gone a little bit too far. Everybody's doing this, but do we really need that much innovation? Don't we need to focus on the core specifics these days? Well, I think every company, healthcare or not, um, needs to have a, a, at least a small group thinking about how to disrupt themselves. Because it's a classic, if we don't disrupt ourselves, someone else will. Uh, so you should, you, what you don't want is everyone in the health system trying to innovate. You want yeah, 99% of people in the health system to be focused on the core activity of taking care of patients in a really great way. But you also, you know, I think should have some core folks who are thinking about what can we do differently? Um, what's being done differently by others? How do we bring that in? Um, and you know, innovations defined different ways. Yeah, you know, I yeah. You know, the simple definition it's just doing something of value that you weren't doing before. Um, and I think a lot of people now have, you know, have created these digital health groups that have come out of innovation. Um, digital health itself you know, can promote a lot of innovation. I found a lot of the innovation I did was much more about people and process and workflows than about the technology per se. But uh, now and then there are some really cool interest in technologies using, you know, AI and, and video and other things that can um, uh, that can really help promote um, efficiency and effectiveness in a variety of ways. Um, and there are probably about eight different elements of an innovation um, program. And most innovation programs We'll have two, three, maybe four or five of those elements. Rarely you'll see all eight elements, but that's a whole nother uh, um, story we can do. Um, but I so 100% believe we need to have some level of innovation in a large health system. Um, it should not be overwhelming, but if, if they don't do it, again, it's going to be done to them. And I think health systems are incredibly important. They take care of our most complex um, issues, um, but sometimes uh, eat, you know, eat, both simple issues need to be innovated and complex issues uh, need innovation as well. And and um, uh, what I would say is it doesn't all have to be um, technical technology. It can often just be a process change or a new way of looking at something that um, opens up opportunities that can improve the patient experience in ways much more than any technology can. Yeah, I, I, I like that sort of perspective. I think what you highlight for me is, and you'll forgive me, I'm just going to pick on it. It's, it's an incremental step for every organization is to essentially place in what I would call not innovation hubs, but disruption hubs that essentially go to look. And, you know, Kodak needed to do it. Blockbuster needed to do it, but didn't. You know, we've seen multiple instances. And, you know, I think healthcare potentially feels a little bit insulated because everybody needs healthcare, but it's not as simple as that. And, you know, there are many opportunities. Oh, and by the way, we spend way too much money and don't get the value out of it. So there's there's lots to, to derive from that. So I think, you know, good opportunities, good learning points. So now you, you've founded or, or built a, a couple of uh, companies. They get spun out, sold off, um, and 
You mentioned 2020, and I think most of us, you know, it's an easy number to remember. Let's be clear, <laughs> that was right in the pandemic. Um, and you noticed the virtual care challenge. I mean, I think people were doing it across really basic systems, FaceTime, mm-hmm. Skype, who knows? It was all across the board. Um, and, you know, Zoom became a verb. Uh, everybody understood it. So now it's a sort of a normality. But it wasn't quite smooth and it's still not smooth. And you now step into that. Tell us a little bit about the background to your journey there. Yeah, so um, I was consulting with some health systems, um, consulting with a couple of um, technology and other companies. um, And it was clear, right? We went from health systems doing very little virtual care to to the majority of their care virtually. But that didn't last. We saw this big jump and then uh, it came down. Uh, And it was obvious that patient demand and acceptance of virtual care was high, but also provider supply was going down. I know providers. I was a provider. They are officeologists in most health systems. They are very happy and optimized to working in an office. And so when we see these reports that we're saying, oh, virtual care is going away, um, it's decreasing, et cetera, uh, it's not because patients um, no longer want it. It's because physicians are back to the offices. They don't have time to do it. And so health systems recognize that if they don't provide virtual care options, particularly for easy routine type of care, someone else will. Um, And their options are either to take their office-based doctors and convert them to virtualists, which is not a good use of those doctors, or to work with a third party um, who has a discontinuous experience um, in a completely different system. So I want to step in and say, look, there is a platform out there that is used by over 60% of all health systems in the U.S., um, and that's Epic. Uh, And Epic, over the past few years, has developed a very robust telehealth technology. And so instead of creating a new technology from scratch and um, saying that we're a technology company, yeah, I said, look, uh, I talked to my colleagues at Epic, um, and we agreed it made sense to create a, a virtual staffing company that's working on an Epic instance. And so we didn't create new technology. We didn't integrate with Epic. We actually are the first and only virtual care company who has our own instance of Epic, upon which um, we are able to staff these virtual care providers and then make them easily available to other health systems, um, particularly using Epic, because the Epic to Epic interoperability is quite profound. Uh, It means that data can be transferred easily between the two systems, much more robust than um, general standards. Uh, And um, scheduling can be done across instances so that you can enter the front door um, of a health system um, and then um, have uh, virtualists working on the key care platform available um, for your patients where you are not staffing them because it's, you know, out of state after hours or just simply you're overwhelmed during the day. 
We're starting with urgent care, but expanding into primary care, behavioral health, specialty care over time. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today I'm talking to Dr. Lyle Berkowitz. He's the CEO of KeyCare. He was just describing KeyCare, which I think um, if I was to pull out the, the threads of that, it, it, it's essentially a, a virtual care platform that works within Epic. And, you know, let's just clarify it's only within Epic. Is that true? Well, to clarify, so we have our own Epic instance. You know, we have Epic's EMR telehealth functionality. That's right. our platform. We don't sell that platform, you know, to a health system. What we sell or what we partner with health systems on is we provide them access to a group of virtualists who are working on that platform. Um, we uh, can theoretically work with any health system because uh, since we have Epic, that means we're part of interoperability networks like Care Equality, um, and we can support any other EMR um, as similarly or better than any other third-party vendor. But when we work with other Epic sites, that uh, interoperability is profound. Epic has built in significant interoperability that, that allows for data transfer, um, allows for scheduling across the two instances, uh, allows even for messaging and orders um, in various ways. So um, the most seamless experience would be with another Epic site. So I, for, for, for the purposes of our discussion, you know, let's put to one side, you can work with others, but you know, the, the best instance is working with Epic because you're sitting on an Epic platform. Just for the benefit of the listeners, because I can hear their voices behind me saying, yeah, sure, when you've seen one epic, you've seen one epic. Does it really integrate? Is, is, is that problem really being solved? Yeah, so um, Epic has a variety of functionalities that allow for really profound interoperability between two Epic instances. Um, uh, there's something called Care Everywhere, which most Epic sites will know, and that means that um, data from one Epic site can be transferred, viewed, and, and held in the other Epic um, instance as well. So when we see a patient who's at you know, hospital XYZ and they um, are seen by virtualists on our platform, they actually um, have transferred the um, allergies med problem list in a way that allows them to reconcile. They are able to view labs, notes, vital signs, et cetera, um, in our instance. All that is transferred via Care Everywhere um, automatically uh, and vice versa. Once our note is done and anything else that we document, it goes automatically back into the originating site, not as a PDF, but a structured note that goes back into the typical workflow, just as if they had been seen um, yeah, in, in any office, uh, in any Epic instance. Uh, so it's a significantly different type of interoperability than you get from one EMR to another. Um, and additionally, the scheduling um, integration means that you can go into one hospital site and when you wanna make an appointment, with a key care provider, a provider on the key care, um, you're able to do that without leaving the originating site. Um, that can be done via MyChart, Epic's um, you know, online web portal, or it can be done by a scheduling agent at the original site. So uh, let, let's be clear, we're uh, two, three years into this whole pandemic. We've seen this big shift 
um, to, to virtual care. And, you know, you're right in, in your description, there's this sort of pullback and people are office based. In fact, this is going on outside of healthcare. Tremendously uh, interesting to watch, let's say, from the uh, sidelines, this uh, push pull of, yes, you must be physically present. And, you know, in some instances, that's true. But I think certainly for, for the majority of folks, there's this sense that virtual and in the in the case of healthcare, virtual care is the preferred form. There's a lot of companies doing this. Why do we need another one? Yeah, so um, we think we've got uh, at least you know, four major differentiations um, between what we'll call third-party vendor. Because we're on Epic, you know, when we work particularly with another Epic site, um, you know, we, we do the following. One, it's a much better patient experience. It's seamless for the patient. They enter their health system's front door uh, and uh, they are able to get an appointment without having to create a new login, um, without having to download anything new, without having to re-enter their medical history. All of that is seamless for the patient, easier, faster, quicker. And um, and then second, it's better quality because um, virtualists on our platform have access to the patient's data. And when they're making decisions, that's important. Um, to know um, with more certainty their allergies and meds, their past medical history. These things uh, are helpful in improving quality and vice versa. The fact that we can send a message uh, in a note in a structured way back to the health system, notify the PCP automatically because of the workflow setup. Um, and if there is additional work to be done, it's a much easier handoff. And on top of that, Epic is a fully functional, meaningful use certified EMR um, which is actually rare. Most virtual care companies don't, you know, they, they build their own software. It's not a meaningful use certified EMR. And so we have, you know, Epic's 10,000 people staff continuing to build decision support tools and other things to improve the quality. Third, it's overall better economics. We're, you know, we're less expensive because uh, you don't have to pay us for technology. We want the health systems to continue to use their technology. Uh, we don't want their doctors to use anyone else's technology. They should use what Epic's given them already. Um, so it's a lot cheaper for them. And there's minimal um, uh, technology work to implement and maintain. Um, so you don't have to create new interfaces. All you're doing is configuring two Epic sites to talk together. Uh, and of course, um, what, what every virtual you know, care service support company will tell you, the you know the, the the bigger the funnel that you can take care of, the the better the downstream revenue. So overall, better economics. Fourth, because we're on this really deep tech stack, you know, where this this robust EMR, we're able to um, uh, support a much greater variety of virtual care options from you know not just urgent care and behavioral health, but primary care, specialty care, etc. Because we have so many more features and functionalities. Uh, and philosophically, as a company, we're reaching out to other virtual care groups and saying, hey, come work with us, partner with us, and we'll give you a full stack, full stack EMR, um, and we'll make you much more easily available to the health system. So we think this is distinctly different from most uh, of the point solutions that are out there because we're really working on the platform. To, to give you an analogy, Nick, it would be like coming into the word processing business and saying, hey, um, uh, we are gonna create really good services and build and, and, and write really good novels on Microsoft Word. Um, instead of going out there and saying, we're gonna create a whole new word processor um, and then get people to work on that. 
Um, we are a tech-enabled service that is a true partner to health systems, uh, and that's where we focus. Uh, and so I think that there's, yeah, the time has come, you know, for a group like ours uh, to to be able to to service those needs in a in a, a different way um, than uh, what's traditionally been done in the third-party world. I, I thought for sure you were going to date yourself and say uh, build it on WordPerfect, but okay, anyhow, a, a brand new WordPerfect. <laughs> I was a fan of WordPerfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all were at one point. It sort of disappeared out and got overwhelmed by uh, you know re replacement standardized technology, even though it was uh, interoperable in in many respects. Um, so I, you know, as I think about this, one of the challenges, you know, so you're you're essentially virtualizing staff you're allowing for this local access but one of the challenges of that is obviously the flexing of staff the availability and in this i'm sorry bizarro nation that we live in it doesn't matter if you're licensed in uh idaho you can't treat outside of idaho unless you've got licensure in it how do you handle all of that um so like I said, part of our philosophy is we work with um, virtual care groups, um, and one of the groups that we work with, you know, is staffed with you know plenty of you know, thousands of physicians, and uh, and many of those are multi licensed, so they are set to provide that twenty four by seven fifty state coverage, uh, and so we contract with them to provide our coverage um, and do it on our Epic instance. Uh, so again. We, therefore, really are set up to, you know, support all of this. We ourselves don't have to go out and employ each of these um, providers, but we do need to find really good partners to do that. And, and that's what we've done in the urgent care space and the specialty space. We've also found a number of um, specialty niche providers that similarly will multi-license their doctors. Um, in the long run, though, you know, what we also want to do is layer on more technology to make it make these virtualists more efficient. Uh, if all we did was replace a 15-minute office visit with a 15-minute video visit, that's a nice to have, but it's not really solving the big picture of access and efficiency. Um, so, you know, we are layering, planning to layer in automation, asynchronous care, and a variety of technology improvements to make these virtualists um, much more efficient um, and, uh, and delegate as much as possible, like to different levels. There's doctors, there's NPs, there's nurses, there's coaches, dietitians, um, and a variety of other types of people that make up a virtual care team that can help a health system better manage a large population. So I, as you think about this, what, what's, what's been the response? I mean, have you had, you're, I, I wanna say still relatively new, how how is the experience been from a, uh, physician perspective. How has the experience been from a patient perspective? What 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 what's the feedback that you're getting? Uh, well, first of all, you know we we've gotten great feedback from health systems who've said yes, this is what we've been waiting for. We need to provide more care. We um, we don't have enough staff internally. We don't like using third party vendors that work on a completely different system. So um, there is what we would call in the in the biz um, a good product market fit. You know, we uh, have really done very little marketing, and yet uh, all these health systems have come to us, uh, and we're very quickly you know, contracting and implementing. Um, yeah, you know, we just really came out of stealth mode in uh, the uh, in August, um, and we're 
um, going live with uh, multiple health systems this quarter and have a backlog uh, through um, through the next several quarters of health systems who want to go live. Um, I'd say the um, patients, of course, you know, look at this as something now they can get done through their health system and uh, would seem to appreciate that uh, it's something that allows them to stick with their health system and know that their primary care doctor will be aware of what's going on. But mostly what they're looking for is just that, you know, that easy access to care. Um, a lot of what we do you know, is um, essentially a commodity um, to a patient. They've got an urgent care need. They want something taken care of. And we believe that they see the benefit of doing it with their health system because of the ability to share the data. Um, but we're adding on more and more functionality to allow for um, expanded coverage um, you know, from adults to peds, um, to uh, allow for a easier experience, to allow for better billing experience, um, and uh, ultimately, like I said, to add on uh, more than urgent care. And so in the end, we want our health systems to be able to tell their patients, look, whatever your need is, urgent care to super complex need, come to us our website, our call center, et cetera, and we will figure it out, whether it's you need a virtual or on-demand virtual care provider, a scheduled virtual care provider, an office visit, just come to us and we will figure it all out for you. And we'll do it on the same platform in a continuous way so that your data is not lost, so you don't have to you know, fill out another form, um, et cetera. So we, we believe that that um, you know, seems to be what the health system's um, and their patients really enjoy and want. When, we, um, uh, when we've asked patients and we did a poll, we asked a couple of things. One was asked, um, what uh, it, if you want your virtual care provider to have access to your base medical information from your EMR and, and vice versa, and of course the overwhelming um, number of patients said, yes, they absolutely love that idea. Uh, when we asked them, do you want to do virtual care for routine, uh, you know, urgent, and chronic care issues. Um, you know, 40% of them said they prefer virtual, 40% prefer the office, 20% um, will take whichever is first. So yes, we, we see a lot of need for that. Fantastic. Unfortunately, as uh, we do each and every week, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to uh, thank you for joining us. Lyle, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, Nick. I appreciate uh, you letting us get the word out. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 